the vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, So this morning, we are going to be continuing our series that we've been um, following on metaphors for God. And I've been given the task of using the metaphor of God as a gardener. So I've chosen the scripture um, of John 15, 1 to 8, which Karen's just read. So I didn't actually come from a family of gardeners. I grew up on a very inhospitable windy ridge in Auckland. And my parents kept quite a low-maintenance, tiredly mown section. However, when I married into John's family, I understood just what gardening culture looked like. For John's mother, Ray, her garden was her pride and joy. Every time we visited Ray's home in Gisborne, a little more of her humble lawn had fallen prey either to a flower bed or a vegetable patch. And I began to appreciate just how rewarding tending plants and watching the weather and propagating plants could be. So from this passage in John 15, I think we can draw out three elements of how God is our spiritual gardener. So firstly, he brings order out of chaos. Secondly, he tends and maintains what he has established. And thirdly, he creates something of eternal significance. So firstly, he establishes order out of the chaos. And he plans and protects the garden where he remains intimately involved in its growth and development. And this is because the garden is where God works out his purposes. Now, in verse 1, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the vine actually refers to the nation of Israel. Thanks, Graham. And we find many uh, references throughout the Old Testament um, to God as a gardener. Um, In Genesis 1, um, we read, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. 
The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And then further down, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in Genesis 1, we have this wonderful picture of God creating this fabulous um, garden, this, this beautiful world, and in it he places man and, in his own, and woman in his own, um, to be, have a relationship with him and to work out his purposes. Um, and the whole Genesis account of how he's, he's creating order and beauty out of chaos and where he would enjoy intimate relationship as, um, with us as his image bearers. And as Sarah reminded us last week, it was a garden of beauty and creativity where God intended to reveal himself to us for eternity. Now, as the, Old, as the Old Testament narrative continues, after the fall and the breakdown of this relationship, man is banished from the garden. God's purposes to restore and redeem mankind, though, come to lie with the nation of Israel. And Israel is symbolized as the vine, and God the gardener, who relentlessly pursues his plan to restore relationship with mankind. And so in Psalm 80, um, David recalls how God delivered and rescued the remnant of Israel from Egypt to return them to the promised land. Like a gardener, God transplanted that vine that was left in Egypt to re-establish it where it could flourish and bear the fruit which God had always intended it to have. So you transplanted a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. So God took the nation of Israel, took it back to the promised land, and time and again, though, the nation of Israel, through disobedience, um, through unfaithfulness, failed to remain faithful to God's calling. And as Isaiah laments in, chapter, f in, in um, chapter 5, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem, the people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So just like a human gardener, um, God relentlessly kept... Um, working at, on his vineyard, but um, he, he tended it, um, he planted it, he prepared it, but
But the vineyard, the nation of Israel, had failed to produce the good fruit that God had intended for it. So going back to John 15, when Jesus states to his disciples he is the true vine, he's saying that in Jesus himself we have the true Israel. In him are God's purposes now resting. By following Jesus, his followers are also members of God's true people. If they remain in him and remain true to him. So firstly, a gardener creates order out of chaos. He protects what he has done. He creates what he's created so that his purposes and designs for his creation can be worked out. So out of the chaos of the disobedience and fall of the Garden of Eden, out of the failure of the nation of Israel to remain faithful and obedient to that calling, Jesus comes as the true vine who will fulfill God's purposes, not just to the nation of Israel, but grafting us into that as well. Now, the world we live in today often appears to be hopelessly chaotic. Our attention this week has been riveted on the chaos and agony that is unfolding in the nation of Israel. A few weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to be in Israel. Thankfully, I managed to leave three weeks ago. One of the most significant places for me in visiting was the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, And that's a, a photo I took of it. And here is the garden where the night that Jesus was arrested all seemed to be chaos. Jesus' disciples were asleep rather than protecting him. Judas's betrayal was finally exposed. G- um, Peter lunging out in physical anger, anger and a seemingly failed ending in the eyes of the disciples as Jesus was led away by the soldiers. Yet we know how the story ends. God's purposes were worked out in that garden. Jesus' obedience and journey to the cross was the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. And the beautiful picture of this is seen when Mary meets the risen Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. As Tom Wright says, her intuitive guess that he must be the gardener was really wrong at one level, yet deeply right at another. This is the new creation. Jesus is the beginning of it. Here he is, the new Adam. The gardener charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. He's come to uproot the thistles and thorns and replace them with blossoms and harvests. And as we look at the terrifying situation in Israel today, we must remember that God remains sovereign. Out of the seeming chaos created by fallen men and women, he will somehow bring order. So my first point, God brings order out of chaos as a gardener. And secondly... The gardener lovingly tends and maintains the garden he's created. God's purpose is it for to to flourish and bear fruit it was intended to produce. 
And part of this, an important part of this maintenance is pruning, as, it, as is spoken of in John 15. This allows the plants to grow in the right direction. Because left unpruned, a vine or a plant will become straggly and tangled and grow in on itself, actually getting in its own light. It can never grow into the beautiful plant it was designed to be or to produce the abundance of fine and healthy fruit for which it was intended. In verses 2 and 3, Jesus explains that this, proce- this process to his disciples. In verse 3, he says to them, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And I think here he's alluding to the fact that even when his disciples have already been pruned or cleaned, there's actually always more of the pruning process to come. In this way, we, like the disciples, can continue to bear more fruit. So how do we actually apply this in our own lives? Are we always ready to submit continually to the pruner's knife so we can bear more fruit? Are we tangled up in our own goals and ambitions so we are living self-sufficient lives? Do we depend on our own source of light and energy, growing inwards rather than growing outwards towards the true source of light where we can produce the eternal fruit for God's kingdom? Now, while in Israel, we visited Jericho, where Zacchaeus climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus. Now, this is believed to be the sycamore tree, although I'm not really confident it could be the exact one. It is a 2,000-year-old sycamore tree. But we stopped outside this this tree and um, obviously viewed it, and it's, it's it's purported to be the actual tree that, that Zacchaeus climbed. But in this tree, we have a wonder, and, and the story of Zacchaeus, we have a wonderful example of a life that was radically pruned through an encounter with Jesus. Until that moment, Zacchaeus had led a life ruled by his own ambitions and goals. He wanted to be wealthy at the expense of his fellow Israelites. He was a tax collector for the hated occupy the Romans. It seems he was morally destitute, yet something in him moved him, inspiring him to encounter Jesus. It took courage. He was an outcast. He was probably one of the most vilified men in the whole district. Yet he was desperate. He was determined to meet Jesus, so he climbed a tree. And he allowed himself to be pruned by the, and, and um, at the mercy of the pruning knife. And his life was turned upside down. He'd been greedy and self-serving. Now all he wanted to do was to get his life clean before God, to make his life right before his fellow men. He was now growing towards the light. His life was no longer tangled mess. So we also need to be alert to when God has his pruning shears out ready to use. Now my recent trip to Israel was a formational time for me in many ways. 
I found my faith um, was really stretched. Um, my roots really grew deeper as I understood more and more of the scriptures and visited some really amazing places. Yet at the same time, it was a real season of pruning. I found I had to live with grace and love with all those people on our trip. How quickly I found it easy to judge and get prickly with those, even those I considered to be my close friends. God had to do some serious pruning with me and my attitudes. Constantly, he had to remind me, oh, stand, um, that I was equally, if not more broken, than those I was room sharing with and sitting on a bus with. He had to show me how to love them as unconditionally and with the grace that he loves them. It was actually quite a journey of its own. So tending the garden also means ensuring the plants have the right environment in which to prosper and bear fruit. In verse 4, we read, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. The branch can't bear fruit by itself, but only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. So how do we remain in Jesus, connected to the vine? For plants to flourish and remain unhealthy, they send down strong roots in the soil provided by the gardener. Now there are seasons when, on the surface, plants seem to put out fresh shoots and spread new growth. Plants and vines seem well watered and they're nourished and they're healthy. Yet there are seasons of life when the gardener rests the soil, new growth and fruit bearing is actually laid aside, awaiting the warmth of spring and summer. However, beneath the surface, the deeply planted roots continue to feed and preserve the plant beneath the surface. The roots ensure that even in the storms of winter, the life of the plants is protected and sustained. If our roots are deep, we'll always find the resilience to withstand the challenges of the storms of life. Now, when I went to the Garden of Gethsemane, um, there's a tree there that's 2,000 years old. Um, it's actually been verified that it's 2,000 years old, so it actually was probably there um, in the garden when Jesus was there. And what a lot of history that tree must have seen. Now, on the perimeter of the tree, um, there's this wall, and, and the roots of the tree, if you can see that black bit there, the roots of the tree have actually pushed through um, the wall and broken through the wall. And it's a real testament to the enduring life of the tree. That tree is so powerful and so full of life, it's pushed through that stone wall. It's had its roots down for 2,000 years, and it seems that nothing that man builds can prevail against it. Now, it was actually wonderful to see so many of you yesterday at Graham's ordination. And wasn't it just a fabulous service? I was just so uplifted. Wasn't it inspiring to see all those fine men and women among the clergy? They've committed their lives to passing on the baton, faithfully passing on the gospel from one generation to the next and further. And it just reminded me of that tree in the garden. 
the church has prevailed. It's still flourishing. It was such a picture of that yesterday, of a flourishing church. In spite of all the barriers that our society pushes up against the church um, and has flung against the church for 2,000 years, our church is still flourishing today, just like that tree in the garden. And nothing can prevail against God's church. So the gardener creates order and tends the garden so it can flourish and bear fruit. And thirdly, in establishing a garden as God the gardener is creating, he's creating something beautiful and more eternal than a random collection of plants. In the words of Aristotle, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Now if you just take a random collection of plants, a garden's beauty actually lies in something much bigger than that. It lies in the connectedness and relationship between each plant. In a carefully designed and planned garden, each flower, shrub, vine and tree is positioned to complement and reflect the beauty of each other. Each has a unique colour, shape and quality. Taken as a whole, there's a connectedness that produces a place of incredible beauty and harmony. Like a physical garden, we too flourish when we're connected in community. We celebrate our uniqueness, yet we also reflect God's goodness as we grow and live together. So we too must remain connected to the community that God's put us in, that loves and knows him, and celebrates him as Lord. We actually can't go it alone. So how do, we, how do we apply that in our lives? It means coming to church. It means looking after each other as the body of Christ. It means looking after each other's interests. It means really edifying each other, getting to know each other below the surface. It means understanding that we are a community of people um, as the body of Christ. And I think there's a certain element of mystery of the eternal in this. However much we understand the sciences of biology and botany and anatomy, however hard we try to explain our physical world, um, there's always something of the eternal which we know is present. And I think Sarah alluded to this last week in her message on God as an artist. We know there's something beyond the physical world that sustains the seasons and the rhythms of life. Something like Sarah said, we, we sense its reality, yet it's not fully known to us on this side of eternity. Now, I've recently read a really good book by um, Dostoevsky, um, The Karamazov Brothers, and um, there's a monk who, who um, actually is really um, speaking out what the author's saying about the human condition. And I found this quote, which I thought uh, really explains that everything we see in the physical world is not all there is to see. God took seeds from different worlds and sowed them on this earth, and his garden grew up, and everything came up that could grow up. But what grows and lives is al and is alive only through the feeling of its contact and connection with that other 
heavenly dimension. If that feeling grows weak or is destroyed in you, the heavenly growth will die away in you. Then you will be indifferent to life and even grow to hate it. So I think having that eternal perspective, that understanding that there's always that, uh, that eternal dimension to life keeps us um, in that place where we understand um, there's more to this physical world than we can actually see. I don't know about you, but those moments in life when you experience that thinness between this world and the heavenly realm are just so precious. They keep me connected to the vine and help me appreciate and understand its eternal significance. So in conclusion, the Bible's opening chapters in Genesis draw our attention to the picture of God creating order out of chaos. He created mankind for a relationship with him and a garden in which we would enjoy eternal relationship with him. On Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the restoration of God's redemptive plan. When Jesus appears to Mary, we understand that the way back to relationship with God has been forged through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Order out of chaos has been restored. And we're now grafted into the vine to be tended and nourished by our heavenly gardener. If we remain rooted and connected in him, if we remain ready to be pruned regularly, so we will bear fruit. And most importantly, our lives will bring God glory.